savage truth. Allow yourself to be challenged. The Savage Truth Podcast with Roy Dockery is the intersection of intellect, culture, and faith that allows you to take an honest look in the mirror. The Savage Truth Podcast with Roy Dockery is available on all podcast platforms or watch the videos on YouTube on the Savage Truth Network. He's a great man. Trust me. Check him out. Welcome to our premier issue of Why I Love Black Woman. And I cannot think of a better guest for my virgin, uh, you know, try at this tremendous podcast named after a book I wrote years ago, before there was Black Girl Magic, before there was Black Boy Joy. I was loving Black women when it wasn't popular. I'm just saying. Not trying to give myself kudos. I'm just acknowledging the historical record. But I have <laughs> I have a woman who was included in that book, Why I Love Black Women, and is here with me today. I know you've seen her face and you go, oh, my God, or a scene. Oh, my God. Dr. Maddie Balls Clark, you see her, but you also think genius. You think poet. You think writer. You think actor. You think activist. You think a Oscar-nominated thespian of the highest order. It is my pleasure to welcome Anjanu Ellis to Why I Love Black Women. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Mr. Dyson. I appreciate Miss <laughs> Ellis, I was telling my producer, I won't tell y'all, I've been in love with this woman for like, you know, nearly <laughs> a quarter of a you know, century there. So we ain't going to tell nobody that part. But I'm in love with her because of her mind, her body of work her intelligence, her writerly instincts. So we're going to get to some of the stuff you want to hear about, like what was it like to play this and do that? But I want to start philosophically. And I want to ask her, since she is a native of Mississippi um, and guest edited, I think, The Bitter Southerner uh, for one of its issues, I want to ask you, Miss Ellis, what it means to be a Southerner, more particularly, what it means to be a Mississippian uh, in the 21st century and to bring the geographical imagination, the geography of Black imagination that Mississippi represents into your body, into your body of work and into your reflection on the world. What does it mean to be a Southerner and a Mississippian, a Black Mississippian in this day and age? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, because it is something that I, that I, I, I wrestle with, that I, I celebrate alternately at different points of the day, you know, and, uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, you know, um, I'm sure you, you are familiar with that term. I wouldn't take nothing from my journey, you know, um, so yeah, and and Mississippi is wrapped up, tangled up, tied up in all of in all of that. You know, I I was looking at this post that the Astor Gates, another Mississippi, um, uh, Mississippian by right. roots, um, in Chicago now, I believe. Right? Yeah, in Chicago, yeah. Um, and I just happen to be in Chicago at the moment, but um, he was at a family reunion in Mississippi. 
and his grand his his uncle was just dancing and having a good time and he he yelled out what you want to do now and his uncle's like whatever you want to do you know it was just <laughs> such a moment but anyway in the post he said mississippi is my africa mm. you know and you know i i you know that is the that's the that's the logic of this country is that Mississippi is our is is our Africa, you know. Mm. But that is what it is. That is what is it is for me. And when you think of, of Africa, you can think you can think of Africa in a whole lot of ways. But what I think about it for me, just as someone who tries to do what I do in the world, is that it is the my origins and my origin story. Um and it 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 orders my steps in everything that I do as as an actor, as as someone who who writes, as someone who chooses a chair that goes against a wall, you know, all the things that I use, as you said, my imagination, Mississippi is the is the blood root of that. Mm. Well, we know that Mississippi has fertile soil, uh, the creativity, the delta, the deep delta, the deep dark delta, the pathway from Mississippi, making Chicago nothing but a suburb of that great state and a people, the, the great black migration in its various routes. And you've spoken about that living in the South. You, you said not only the people who left here, we, we know about them, we read about them, but the people who remained. And you said not just physically, but psychically, spiritually, morally. What does it mean to be rooted in a blood soil that has received the bodies and bones of black people who were searching for freedom in the most undemocratic space imaginable and yet transformed it with their black creativity. Talk to us about that tension. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is, it is such a necessary it's 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 such a necessary um how, how do i how, how do i how do i say this that we we have had the privilege to ignore mississippi for far too long and now we're living with the results of ignoring a place like mississippi um the mayor of jackson um um chokwe lumumba said that mississippi is a petri dish for um the politics of this country and and you know we see what has what has you know been birthed out of that we are living we are living what has been birthed out of that um mississippi is a place that people choose to ignore everybody chooses everybody chooses everybody chooses to ignore it and we but we do so we do so at our own at our own peril and then you know this idea of the people who left and the people who people who stayed behind the people who left, whether they cut, you know, my cousins in California, my cousins and my aunts and uncles who went to Los Angeles, my aunts and uncles and my mother who went to North California, my cousins who went to Chicago, Milwaukee, Detroit, you know, that's that, those were our paths. But then there's my grandmother who stayed behind. There was my aunt who stayed behind. And that took a whole lot of bravery. It took a lot of bravery to leave, but it took a whole lot of bravery to stay. And, you know, if you hear stories about what was going on in Mississippi in the 60s, um, when they were, you know, looking for Cheney, Goodman and, and Schwerner, you know, they were talking about how when they were, you know, 
searching for their bodies and searching for their bodies in the rivers and in the big black river being one of them, that they were finding other bodies, mm. other bodies in those rivers that had, some of them have yet to be identified. Mm. And I have been in conversation with a, with an activist organization that um, concentrates on modern day contemporary lynch lynchings, not modern day contemporary lynchings, meaning lynchings that have happened since the year 2000. And she talks about how there are places in North Mississippi where they find bodies that haven't been identified. And these are people who are being killed and nobody knows what happens to them or nobody knows what happened to them. So this is, this is, this is where I'm from. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm from. And we know these things happen everywhere, but it's, it's sort of like Mississippi has this permission and it can operate and operate in arrogance because no one pays attention to it. Mm. So that is, that, is, that, is, that is part of the reason why I am so loud about it mm. is because I have to talk about, I have to, I have to keep those people who were left behind. And when I say left behind, I don't just mean my grandmother and my aunts. I mean those people who were left behind in those rivers I mean those people as well that no one has been a, no one has been held accountable for what happened to those folks and I feel like I have to speak for them that that is my that is my responsibility my responsibility to do that and I'm not alone in that you know that there are you know there are people you know who who are do who do this work and they don't necessarily call it work but it is work people like Kiese Layman um People like Jasmine, you know, people like Jasmine Ward, you know, they do that. They do that with their with their writing. Um, and it's 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 outstanding. It's tremendous. You know, and it, and it, it, it is it, it is so because of what I feel is a current that goes through them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> when we think about that, Layman Ward, uh, other Southern writers of their pedigree and ilk. Um, mm -hmm. you operate on that level as well. You face no <clears throat> foreign object in that writer's room. You have at your disposal, metaphor and simile and analogy, you have at your disposal uh, eloquent writing and powerful reflection upon who you are uh, as a human being. But how do those unclaimed bodies, the bleached bones that have been interred in the soil of Mississippi, the flesh of black people rotting beneath the soil. How do those bodies claim space in your body of work of who Anjanu Ellis is as an actress, as a actor, as a thespian, as a performer on Broadway, on off Broadway, on film, on television, on the big screen, on the small screen and wherever you are? What's the organic relationship between the two? Well, I hear those people screaming. I hear them screaming. I hear them drowning. You know, they're alive. That's the thing. You know what I mean? They're not bodies to me. They're alive to me. They're alive. You know, and until, you know, there, there, there's, there's no such thing as justice for that. There's no, there's, but there is recognition. That at least can happen. Um, and and, 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 and I hear that. I hear that. I hear those, I hear those voices. They don't just haunt me. They, they talk to me. 
Like, say my name. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Know me. Know me. Know me. Know who I am. And, you know, I, I didn't always operate in that world. You know what I mean? This is very, very, this is, I would say, 10 years ago, you know, came into... I would say my 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 knowing of myself and how I operate within that. Um, I was wasting a lot of time in New York City. No disrespect to New York, it's a fun place to be, but I wasn't doing nothing, you know. And I was I had a had a you know I was I had a profession that was acting, but it, that's what it was. It was just you know paying my rent. Sometimes it didn't, you know. Um, but I had it, I was completely, that part of me was completely untethered. Like I just, there was no connection to that at all. And so, you know, I wasn't writing, I wasn't, I wasn't operating in who I was and my calling at all. Cause I didn't know what it was. I didn't hear it. Um, and then, you know, a little over 10 years ago, you know, I had a sick family member and I had to go back home to Mississippi and I was living there again. And, you know, there were things like, you know, the Confederate flag being there and being a part of the state flag and just things that were unbearable to me. It was just insufferable. Um, and so I just got on people's nerves constantly talking about it. I was just like waking this bear. I just had to do it, you know, and <laughs> was pissing people off. And I was like, OK, good. I know that I'm doing the right thing because I was making black people and white people mad at me. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the first things that I did was, um, I made this billboard that was on highway 95, no, not highway 95, highway 55, interstate 55 in Jackson. And I had the words, we shall overcome written in Confederate flags and the sign, the, the billboard stayed up for, you know, several weeks and it was on the news. It was, you know, it was, it was, it did all the things. And I remember being in a, in a going to the mall, and this this older black man uh, was talking about it to me, but he didn't know that I did that billboard. And he was so angry. He was so angry. He was like, "Why would she do something like that? Why would they do something like that?" And I said, "Well, I actually did that." And it turns out that that man, when he was a kid. He was a member of my grandfather's church. And that church that he went to, Society Hill Baptist Church, had been bombed by the police. Um, and, and my grandfather was arrested for um, bombing his own church. So anyway, that was the kind of work that I started doing, you know, pissing people off, making people mad. But what it did was it started, it started people to talking again, you know, like to just, 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 you know, engage in this conversation of the absurdity that I go to the gym and I got to walk past this thing, which is something that is a tactile um, means of segregation. It's not symbolic. This is what somebody shows you to tell you that this, that you don't belong here. And so when that happened, it just became a part of me. You know, and everything became, um, how do I say it? Everything became the same, the same organizing principle, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. You know, 
Like I was trying to keep this loved one of mine alive. I was trying to fight for this flag. I needed to work because I got to keep this loved one alive. Like all of it made sense to me, finally. And I was like, I felt like, okay, if I'm going to do this acting thing, the acting thing helps me put up billboards that make people mad. The acting thing helps me take care of this woman who I don't want to lose. You know, all of it became a part of the same organism, right. you know, and and that is how I'm ruled now. Mm. Well, but I had to go home for that. I had to go home yes. to make that happen. Right. <clears throat> and to find your home uh, in the world. Yeah. Uh, because you established your purpose and your identity linked to that purpose that allowed your vocation of acting to become an extension of your performance of your blackness wherever you are. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're brilliantly uh, and, and eloquently speaking about that. Let's talk about that acting. I mean, your range is crazy. You are, you know, when they say, you know, your, your favorite artist, artist, your favorite artist, favorite artist, that's what you is. Right. You have been <clears throat> recognized by being nominated in the most prestigious, you know, way for your acting over, you know, these many uh, more than two decades. And it, 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 it appears that you can do anything. You can do Undercover Brother, uh, which is a signifying comedy. You can do Men of Honor, <clears throat> which is uh, a historical reclamation uh, of black people doing stuff that they didn't think black people could do, especially in water. Um, you, you, you're in uh, King Richard as a prominent figure playing uh, Miss Oracine Price Williams. Um, you're in uh, so many films that testify to the durability and the power uh, of blackness, but you can do it all. You can be funny, you can be sad, you can be serious. Uh, Caveman's Valentine with Samuel L. Jackson and, and Casey Lemon. So what is it that fuels your artistic imagination? We know Mississippi is so powerful, but what is it that gives you craft and technique and purpose within your body of work as a performer? Uh, I, would, I, I respectfully say fear. I respectfully say fear. You know, people like, you know, kind of poo-poo fear, but I don't think nothing's wrong with fear. You know, because my fear comes from I don't wanna I don't wanna embarrass these women who I'm portraying, you know. So it makes me just try my best. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it makes me try my damnedest, if I can say, you know, I just have so much, so much respect and admiration and just adoration for Miss Price, mm -hmm. you know, and what she did, you know, and, and knowing that no one knew that she was Serena Williams' coach. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Nobody knew that. I didn't even know that. And the fact that she held on to that, held on to that shit, excuse my <laughs> yeah. language, didn't tell nobody, you know what I mean? Because what she could have done is that every time Serena won Wimbledon, she could have been like, that's me, that's me. That's me, but she didn't do that because she didn't need to. She didn't need to. Her 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 reward, her 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 flowers was her were her children's successes. You know, oh, 
that's just so powerful to me. And so my grandmother and so my aunts and so, so these women that I know, you know, from down home. And, and my fear is letting a woman like that down. So I, I just work my tail off and not doing that. Well, well then you, you ain't know? got no tail left because because that 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 role was magnificent for which you were some say belatedly and finally acknowledged by uh the academy for your stellar performance but look i'm from detroit michigan you know where i'm heading you know where i'm going you knew i grew up in the church in detroit you knew maddie moss clark dr maddie moss clark was so significant and the clark sisters um Yes. to the to the German nation development and full expression of black gospel genius uh, out of that city. What what did you do to prepare playing Dr. Maddie Moss Clark? Because she is a seminal figure that many people didn't know about beyond the church world until you played her on what is still what the highest, you know, rated uh, original lifetime movie ever. I mean, y'all just broke records uh, with that. Tell us how you prepared for that. What did it mean to have a little known corner of black artistic expression revealed to the world through your character and the characters of the Clark sisters? Well, I, I, I didn't grow up in a sanctified church, as we say, you know. Uh, I grew up in the more sedate Baptist tradition. Which is funny to say Baptists uh, are more sedate than anybody, but... I, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, compared to them, to compare to say, uh, my 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 best friend in school, she went to St. James uh, Church of oh, God Jesus. Christ, and what they were doing up in there compared to what we were doing, and we would have high church, you know, and do home Baptist. We was high church up in there. We was having a was having a good time, but when I went over there, listen. <laughs> So she would be the one who would regale me with these stories about Dr. Maddie Moss Clark. So I knew Dr. Maddie before I knew Dr. Mm -hmm. Maddie. And she just was like snailed into my imagination, you know, of a woman who just was like this self-determined creative person before I even knew what that was, you know? And then, you know, knowing the Clark sisters through their music on the radio, blah, blah, blah. But she was that to me. Before I knew anything, she was that. Obsessed with them. Obsessed with them. So then to, to, for someone to send me a letter saying that they want me to play their mama, I was like, come <laughs> on, dude. That's not supposed to happen. Because first of all, let's be, I'm going to be really, I've said this before, but it's true. I, I said, you know, just because of, you know, it's probably not wise to have someone like me in that proximity to the Clark sisters because I literally stalk them, like stalk them, go to Detroit to find them, show up where they at. Like, that's not good. And you're going to put me in that? Not wise, but okay, if you want to do that. So there is that. Um, and then, you know, in terms of my, in terms of my preparation, you know, I'm not, I'm not a singer at all, but, you know, thank God I didn't really have to sing, but I, Miss, Miss Dr. Maddie has this quality of her voice. It's very raspy. All of them do, you know, that has that sort of raspy 
you know, uh, effect in their voice, you know. And so I tried my best to get to sound like that, which meant that I was doing a whole lot of screaming into pillows and literally trying to injure my voice so I so I could sound like her, you know, and just I found this great uh, found audio of her conducting a, a rehearsal. And I just would listen to that over and over and over and over and over and over again. It just was ambient after mm-hmm. a certain point. Um, and that's what I did. I talked to as many people as I could. And um, I just tried to let, I, I really just tried to let her speak, you know, as, as much as my body could mm-hmm. allow, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's yeah. uh, it's a remarkable performance. Uh, people have hailed it everywhere. Uh, and when I watched it, being from Detroit, you know, I'm especially critical and, you know, I want to yeah. check it. I was like, yo, I mean, she nailed that part. Like, you know, like no one else could possibly do. We can't even imagine Dr. Maddie Moss Clark without the thespian craft of uh, the great ingenue Ellis. You know, you have you have been an activist. Uh, you called me up one day and ordered me over to the Capitol so we could protest uh, the because <laughs> when Ingenue Ellis called me, I'm answering. And you were involved with Attorney Moore in protesting the Confederate element of that Mississippi flag. You are on the front lines when it comes uh, to so many social justice issues. And you went to the essence celebration of uh, black women in Hollywood, looking as they would say, fierce and fabulous. Let's let's just first of all acknowledge the aesthetic articulation of chocolate charm and ebony ecstasy that you embody. Let's just let's just let's just acknowledge that finer than cat's whiskers. We got to acknowledge that. And then with that genius you possess and that brilliance and that writerly skill to have written on your dress the word queer. And what was so funny to me, I was reading your response when you were saying, I I think folk thought it said queen. (laughs) Which could be an allusion to black gay aesthetic, right? So you just captured it all, right? You kept, you, you, you captured it. You got Billy Porter, RuPaul, and everybody else, right? With, with that fierceness. But talk to us about that not so subtle, subtle revelation of the intense interiority of your identity as a human being, as a sexualized human being, and as a, a woman who fully embraces who she is on this earth without apology or excuse. Yeah, you know, I talked about that, you know, Baptist, um, that Baptist uh, tradition, that's my heart, that's, that's that, you know, I, that I was raised in, and there ain't no place for me mm. in that. There was no place for me in that. And so there was a whole lot of reprogramming that I did on my own because I knew that I wasn't, you know, attracted to boys in the way that I was supposed to be attracted to boys. Um, and there was no template, you know, there was nothing. There was no template. And the, and, and the examples of that were women who were exiled. So, you know, I don't want to be that. 
I don't want to be Miss Pearl who work at the right. at the florist. You know what I mean? I don't want to be her. I don't want to be Angie, who everybody talks about because everybody knows she's gay. I don't want to be that. So I, I I gotta I can't I can't live my life like that. So I'm already weird. I'm already strange, and then I'm gonna add to it that I don't like girls. You know. Um, so I literally, oh there was boy. a summer where I said, okay, there's, yeah, there's a summer where I was like, I gotta, I gotta program myself to like boys before mm. I go back to school. And I just really, I really worked on it. Like, like the, the books that I had to read that summer, like it was like a project that I had to do for the summer anyway. Um, and then that's, so that's what I was struggling with my whole childhood. I was struggling with that. And you know, I had a, and nobody in my household was saying, you know, it's wrong to be gay. You know what I mean? Nobody was saying that. And nobody ever said anything like that in my house or even in my community, really. You know, there was no, when nobody, you know, even though everybody's like, yeah, that's Pearl. Right. You know what I mean? Pearl could come to the cookout. Right. right you know right. what I mean? Pearl could live her, you know, you just don't talk about it though. You just don't talk about it. And to and the reality is it's still very much it's still very much like that now. You know, you 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 can be that way, but you just can't, you know, just certain things you just right. don't do. Right. You know what I mean? You know, you have like the visionary of someone like E. Dewey Smith, who you know, did that sermon, you know, um years and years ago and stood in a Baptist church and said, this thing that y'all are doing, which is uh, um, treating treating gay people like their shit has got to stop because, you know, this this is this is another inconsistency that is in the Bible, along with several other inconsistencies. And you can't you can't support it logically. So stop it. Right. So stop it. But at the same time, you have a brave person like that doing that, but they ain't marrying nobody in these churches. It's like, yeah, we want you to come. We love you. You know what I mean? Our, our, our arms are wide open, but ain't nobody marrying nobody in them churches. That's not happening. Unless you know something different. That's no, I mean, I've married that way, but it wasn't in them churches. <laughs> it wasn't in them wasn't churches. In no church. Yeah. That's not and this, so yeah, so 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 there's that. And then you know, in the last couple of years, uh, Michael, you know, I I my uh, presumption was that I have a very I, I'm in an industry. I'm I, my profession, my profession, not industry. My profession is is a very progressive one. That was my presumption, right? But I just had to deal in these last couple of years. This is pandemic time dealing with people who were saying these just really homophobic, homophobic, queerphobic, bigoted things to me, to me. And so I'm sitting there, sit, and these were, these were black women who were saying these things to me. And so I'm sitting here going, okay, I don't want these people to hate me, but I can't sit here in silence, you know, because if I'm silent and I'm complicit in the bigotry, and then I'm like, Saying what does it say about what I think mm. about myself, even though I'm I'm out with everybody, you know. But they, there's a presumption made that we all straight up in here, everybody's straight up in here, right? So we can say these things, and that happened to me mm. constantly, in several in several several moments where I just 
you know, a, a, talking to a woman and she was complaining because she had to kiss a woman in the scene. And I was just like, yo, anyway, mm -hmm. I got tired of it. I got tired of it. And I just knew that I had to be, you know, I had to be more present. I had to be more open about it. So to shut these folks up. So I went to an event that celebrated black women. You know, some of those black women who, who might've said those things might've been in that audience. And I put that word, I put queer on me. I wore my feelings mm. on my sleeves. And I'm very, I'm very happy that I did it. You know, I, cause I feel like, you know, there's this, oh, I'm so glad you're, I'm like, I'm not out. I've been in, I, I'm, I ain't got to do nothing. I'm me, you know? But the other thing that happened was that people reached out to me, people who have not done that and they thanked me for doing it. So I said, okay, there is that, I, I was glad that I did it. You know, Lil Nas X, you know, feeling like he wasn't invited to the BET Awards, wasn't nominated for anything because he had talked about not apologetic. You know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's right. just too much. It's just too much. Right, right. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's why, that's why you gotta say this mm -hmm. stuff. That is why. Well, it's ironic that the ostensible reason that some people had, well, look at him, he's embracing the devil. Wait a minute, let me get this right. So you told him all his life he was going to go to hell if he was gay. He then portrays for you what that looks like, frolicking in hell, but you blame him through your narrow Christian prism when all he's doing is reflecting back to you the paradox yes. of your assertion that he is soulless and without Christ and therefore beyond redemption mm -hmm. because of his sexual mm -hmm. orientation. Yeah, I've, I've been in that battle as a Baptist preacher for the last 43 years. Trust and believe uh, I've been on yeah. the on the front uh, lines in that battle of opening space within these religious traditions in these sanctuaries that exploit black people. Because I tell, I tell black churches, I said, I ain't never been to no black church that turns down gay tithes. If you're going to be real about it. I, I ain't on. never seen you say that. Come on now. And, and I on. said, you ain't kicking them Come out on. the choir because you ain't going to have no music. Quiet as you step, you might not have no preaching. Lord Jesus. Might not have no preaching. All right. So, so what you did was. Let's have a reckoning, Let's have yes, a real reckoning about that. Let's have a real reckoning about that. You know, and, th and let me let me say this, Michael, you know, that, listen, another thing, mm -hmm. I wouldn't take nothing from my journey. Like, I am what I am right. because of the Black church. I am what I am. And before, you know, pre-pandemic, I was on, I was in somebody's mm -hmm. church on Sunday right. morning. That's where I was. And, and the reason why I ain't got nothing to do with no Jesus, mm -hmm. not no white Jesus anyway. The reason why I was there is because I know my evidence of God is the survival of black people. I know that there is something that happened between between the shores of West Africa and and Virginia, wherever those boats landed. Something happened there that don't have nothing to do with skin and bones. I know that. And I know that a, that a, that a, that, a, that a kind of fellowship developed in that experience that we, you and I live right now. That is what God is to me. So when I'm in church on Sunday mornings, when I'm there, I am in fellowship with that. 
That is what I'm in. That, and that is alive. And that is what God is to me. That is what God is to me. Now, having said all that, I embrace that. That is what I am. I will, I will fight for the survival of the black church. But this other stuff where we we try to pretend like we wouldn't have we the church could survive without gay folks, without queer folks, and without women. Amen. That's unsustainable. That's not sustainable. That's not that's not sustainable. It's a lie. It's a lie. And 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 so what I'm what you know the other thing that I'm that that I'm doing, you know, is is um you know and it is standing up to that you know and and confronting that because it has to be confronted and I'm not interested in conversation mm. I'm interested in confrontation and this to me has this this to me is 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 it 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 needs to happen because of particularly this issue has happening now right. with you know Roe v Wade now I'm just gonna say this, and I'm 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 gonna leave it alone because I'm not trying no, to you know hold it, up your, hold up your questions, but but um you know wh- where is how is the black church gonna protect black women? You know how 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 is the black church going to protect black women? Because it doesn't matter how you feel about abortion, doesn't matter how you feel about abortion, but what it should matter to you. Is this Supreme Court deciding that only dead white men have a say in the lives of black women? Mm-hmm. Only dead white men, only, only dead white men can have a say in the reproductive lives, in the health, in the existence, the very existence, continued existence of black women. That should yeah. make you mad. It <laughs> yeah. should make yeah. you angry. Because check this out, you would have no church if it wasn't for black women. You would not have no church. Who in these last two years, when these church, church churches are closing their doors left and right, right because people can't come, they just having church online. Who was sustaining it? Who was sustaining it? Who kept it going? Black women. Black women were doing that as they always have. And yet in the face of this health crisis, because of this decision, you say nothing. No, I know I you're saying something. I'm not talking about you. You know, you say nothing. You get up on the, the the Sunday after that happens, and you talking about spiritual breakthroughs. No, no, sir. And I say, sir, because I'm speaking to the patriarchy that that sustains in these in these spaces. You talking about spiritual breakthroughs? So let, because I think the idea is, if I tell you something that'll make you feel good, you'll keep coming. So I can't say, you know, I can't talk about that life. I can't talk about what's going on outside these doors because I don't want to make you feel bad. Absolutely, that has to stop. And I've talked to young women. I've talked to young women who will say, you know, these 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 are fiery young women who we need. We need them in the church. They're like, they're the Dorothy Heights of today, right? The Fannie Lou's of today, but we losing them. And I talked to them, I was like, well, you know, and they're like, yeah, well, the church I knew stood up for me. And it doesn't anymore, so I don't go. Yeah, it's an indictment of our uh, complicity in the very form of oppression we claim 
uh, to resist the prophetically declare against we perpetuate it because oppressed people can oppress yeah. people. I mean, that's what we learn, right? <clears throat> Which is why it's extremely important for us to be humble in the face of sin because all of us got it and all of us are doing it. And this particular sin you're naming of our complicity with a white supremacist ethic that we claim is against the very being of the church. So that if you claim because you believe in Jesus, you black and white, and you say that has makes us have more in common than a black man who's a Muslim who follows Islam, and you as a black man who follows Christ, but you both catch in hell, as Malcolm would say, you find more in common with the white supremacists who can go to church and pronounce benediction after lynching you? So the contradictions theologically are pretty manifest. And again, the homophobia in a church that is overwhelmingly women, 75% black women. So it's sexist, patriarchal, misogynistic, femophobic, and homophobic at the same time. It ain't sustainable. Because when the women leave, I'm going right with them. I'm just letting y'all know right now. When the, when, the, when the women and the gay people leave, I'm with y'all. Okay. Where, where, where are we going to eat at today? Now, speaking of the patriarchy, you were involved in an incident that has shattered uh, the comity and the implicit compact of black publicness, public blackness, where stuff happens under control. Now I saw Denzel and I saw Tyler Perry, both men I know and love, but I saw Anjanue Ellis speaking to Will Smith after the infamous slap. I ain't got no preconceived destination to which to take this. I just want to hear Anjanue Ellis reflect on uh, a seminal, powerful breakthrough moment, a destructive, hurtful, sad moment, a grieving moment, a celebratory moment, all wrapped together. Uh, talk to us about what that means, what that meant, and you being there and what it felt like. Hmm. Yeah, well, the first thing I'll say is um, first I want to talk about first I want to talk about Will a little bit. We'll talk about Will a little bit. Um, you know, I've I've worked, I've been in Will's, I've been in Will's life. Will has been in my life for the last couple of years because of King Richard. Um, you know, he. You know, if I, he had to be, he had a huge say in my getting that part. Uh, um, and so I, I, and then beyond, beyond that, you know, he and I, we don't talk a lot, you know, we didn't talk a lot while we were filming. Um, but, you know, mm. you saw what we were able to do on camera, you know? And um, so that there was this sort of, you know, unspoken, um unspoken respect and what i what i didn't realize is that you know he he had this sort of you know want and desire to take care of me 
and and to protect me. And I was didn't understand that. I didn't understand that, you know. But he did, and he 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 showed that he showed that in 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 a couple of different ways. Right now, this is separate from this. I did not get paid enough money to do King Richard at all. I got I got my salary for King Richard was was abominable. It was terrible. And so when it was done, um, I told him, I said, I didn't get enough. I didn't get paid enough money. Now, Will is not Will was not involved in that part, but he's still a producer of the movie. You know what I mean? So I I wrote to him and I said, well, you know, this is consistent with how black women get treated. You know, and I wasn't just talking about me. I was talking about the other black women in the movie as well. These young girls who played the daughters, you know, I said, we worked our tails off. And, you know, I got a little more, I, I was a little more elegant than that. But his response was to uh, double my salary. Still wasn't enough, but at least he did that. And then he ultimately, he doubled everybody's salaries, including the white men, you know? Um, and which speaks to this, and I've said this before, when mm. black women do well, everybody mm. does well, you know? Um, so there's that. And then, you know, we started doing the campaign for the for the, the movie and that kind of thing. And I would have to travel with him and he would just make sure I was okay without make without talking to me you know he would just make sure that everybody made sure that i was okay you know what i mean and then he came to the essence um awards and 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 introduced me right he had to do that you know he don't like doing he doesn't like doing things like that but he came there and he stood there where I was, you know, stood there on that stage where I was like going in with, with that queer down my shoulder. And I was going in on everybody that day. And he stood there. He he put his, you know, he's always a center of attention, but he decentered himself, you know, for me in that moment. So I said all that to say, you know, it would be very, very hard for me not to stand in support of Will Smith. Very, very hard. Now. Having said that, this my support of Will Smith don't have nothing to do with what I feel about him personally. And I'll say this. <clears throat> I don't want to get into what I know and what I don't know about them because I don't know anything about their personal lives. But I know what I saw. I know what I saw. And I know what Miss Pinkett Smith speaks to in her own experience and her own pain with dealing with her losing her hair. She's talked about that. She's been very, very public about that. So when Chris Rock said what he said, I saw Will Smith turn and look at his wife and he knows her better than everybody, right? So he was gonna have to go home and live with her pain. He was gonna have to, he was gonna have to soak, hold her tears in his hand. He was gonna do that. And there's that. I also know what he wrote, about, wrote in his book about feeling like he couldn't protect his mother. And so here was a moment that he could show his wife that I am not going to let anybody cause you pain in my presence. I'm not going to let that happen. And so he went up there and he did what he did. 
Now, there's all this stuff about, you know, you know, the First Amendment and da 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 and free speech and blah, 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 blah. And this is what I feel about this. If they had paid to go to a Chris Rock concert and they would have they would they would be offended. And I'm like, you can't be offended and pay to go to a Chris Rock concert. That's Chris, Chris Rock's genius. That's what he does. If you pay to go to his concert, right. you coming in there for that. You know, that's his job. That's what he does. And God bless him for it. But in that environment, in that environment, none of us paid for that. All them tickets was free. You know what I mean? We were just there. And Jada Pinkett wasn't even a nominee. She's just the wife of this man. Why did he pick on her? And this and her, her husband had to sit there and watch the pain that that this woman was experiencing because of what this man said. And this was not the first time Chris Rock used the Oscars to mock Jada Pinkett Smith. He did it the year that wasn't no black people even in the audience. He mocked Jada Pinkett Smith. So that happened. So so there's that. And this whole idea of First Amendment, Second, all that stuff. Let me tell you something. The Constitution of the United States don't have nothing to do with black people. It don't have nothing to do with black women. And and the and 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 I am very clear when I say that you cannot do both. You cannot support the Constitution of the United States mm. and support black women at the same time. Wow. You cannot do wow, that's both. Heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> that's heavy. Now she's bringing James Madison and Thomas Jefferson uh, and, and Benjamin Franklin into the slap, right? You can't do both. No, you can't do both because then you got the Second Amendment, right? The Second Amendment is merely a tool of terrorism for this country. And who pays for it? Women and children, more than anybody. Women and children. And black people, more than anybody, even with the mass shootings that happen in these white areas, black people end up suffering more than anybody. And black women end up suffering more than anybody. So you cannot support the Constitution of this un of the United States and support and, and protect black women at the same time. They mm. are they they you cannot do both. Well, y'all, I mean, I, I could talk to Anjanu Ellis all day, but you see why I wanted her as my first guest, her brilliance. Her insight, her passion, her courage, her stamina, her, her democratic stamina, small d, her ability to channel the most epic center of black genius into her body of work and to produce memorable characters, performances, and expressions that live with us for a lifetime. Anjanu Ellis, writer, thinker, creator, queer, proud, black woman, writer, and we didn't even talk about her upcoming project. We're going to have to come back on to talk about Fannie Lou Hamer from Mississippi, who she is channeling with incredible zeal. Thank you so much for joining us on this virgin run of why I love black women. You have blessed us. And in our high Baptist order, you done brought the sanctified funk up in here. And we thank you so very much. <laughs> thank you, Michael. I was so happy to be here.